0: Well, good morning. This morning we want to begin Acts chapter 13. We'll do verses 1 through 12, and the topic is Paul's first apostolic mission. This will be part one. The book of Acts began as a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. The pivot point between the two books was the ascension of Jesus, recorded in both books. Acts chapter 1, verse 3, uh, reflects the passion and resurrection of Jesus in these words. This is Luke's account here in Acts 1 verse three. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs. Jesus appearing to them, that is the apostles over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. During the 40 days between the resurrection and ascension, Jesus spoke to his apostles about the kingdom of God. That is the one topic that's mentioned. It isn't one of many topics. It was the topic. 32 times in Luke's gospel record, Luke used the term kingdom of God, beginning with the reference, the first reference in Luke 4, verse 43. Jesus said this, it is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. Now, clearly, the people hearing the words of Jesus really didn't understand what he was saying, which is why he probably spent so much time trying to explain it to them. Jesus was sent by the Father specifically to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God, which is the redemption and restoration of the uncontested rule of God over his creation. Everything in the life and work of Jesus was about the kingdom of God. The work of Jesus defined Proclaimed, propagated, and incarnated the gospel of the kingdom of God. His work began in the gospel of Luke and continued through the Acts of the Apostles. Before his ascension, Jesus gave a final charge to his apostles in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said to them, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus' apostles needed divine empowerment to be his witnesses. One of the key lessons of the Old Testament was that mankind, without divine empowerment, was impotent to be able to do what God required man to do. The apostles testified to the events of Jesus' life and would be his agents to build his ecclesia, they would propagate the message of the kingdom of God and make disciples of Jesus from all ethnic groups. The first 12 chapters of the book of Acts described how the impotent uh, apostles who had uh, deserted Jesus at his crucifixion were empowered by the Holy Spirit to propagate the gospel of the kingdom and in so doing to begin to build his ecclesia. With the inclusion of the Gentiles in the ecclesia recorded in Acts 10 and then Peter defending his work among the Gentiles in Acts 11, the charge of Acts 1.8 was fulfilled. They had borne witness, that is the apostles had borne witness to the resurrection of Jesus to all ethnicities and conveyed the truth that Jesus was both Lord and Christ. So by Acts 13, what else needed to be done? In other words, how does chapter 13 and the following chapters fit into the story? Was it enough to simply understand the ecclesia would be included, um, uh, would be com- composed of all ethnicities, or was there more? Clearly, Jesus has something bigger in mind. Notwithstanding the seeds sown by the original apostles, there was also the issue of expanding the ecclesia. The first 12 chapters of Acts laid the foundation, and the beginning in Acts 13, the work of the apostle Paul as the apostle to the ethnic groups became the prominent work. There was also still lingering question here in Acts chapter 13, and that is the relationship of the gospel of the kingdom to Judaism. Does one have to convert to Judaism and obey the Mosaic law to be part of the Ecclesia? Well, this would be resolved in chapter 15 with the first church council. But in the meantime, we're gonna start out with the Apostle Paul and see what the Holy Spirit's gonna do through him and through Barnabas and those that were walking with them in this, now the first of his three apostolic journeys. So Acts chapter 13, verses one through three uh, is the starting point here. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucas of Cyrene, Manaen a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they were worshiping, now that word for worshiping there is an interesting word because it's a word that we get liturgy from. Uh, So some translations uh, translate this to serve, which may be a better way to see it. So as they were serving the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So who were these men, these leaders of the Ecclesia, this local Ecclesia in Antioch? You know, they, we know that they were, they were prophets and they were teachers, at least that. Okay, and now they're getting ready to lay hands on some apostles, which is interesting. Normally we think of the apostles as the most senior of our leaders, but in this case, these apostles were sent out. In fact, the word apostle means to be sent out. They were sent out by prophets and teachers who believed that they heard from the Lord. These men, that is Barnabas and Saul, were in part divinely ordained, commissioned by these leaders, and this launched them into the next phase of their work. In this context, the Holy Spirit spoke. Again, we don't have details regarding to whom he spoke and, or how he spoke or even when he spoke, but we have a record of what he said. They were the apostles, excuse me, the, the prophets and teachers and the apostles to be, I guess is a good way to put that, uh, were given a divine imperative. They were directed to set apart Barnabas and Saul to a calling, a work assignment from God. Now, given the popular paradigm of Christianity today, driven largely by Greek dualism, one might have presumed that this work was to missions, or church planning, or pastoring, or teaching, or prophetic work, or healing. Now, again, Luke doesn't provide a lot of details here, but we can reflect on Acts chapter 6. And as we look back at Acts chapter 6, you can see that the work of ministry was not limited to church-related work. It actually included food distribution as well. So we have to expand our thinking about what ministry is, and we have to include all work assignments because God is holistic, and he has called people to every listed work assignment. Having received a directive from the Holy Spirit, the community commissioned them to the work that God them to. The calling was evident to the community, not just Barnabas and Saul. When a community sees with metaphysical awareness the call of God on a person or persons, the community leaders should seek to commission the people. Sending out is a commissioning event. Barnabas and Saul didn't just go. They were sent. And Barnabas and Saul weren't the only ones that heard from the Holy Spirit. This whole community did, at least the leaders. And so when you see this is how God works, he sends out, based on talking to authority figures first. We tend to want to self-proclaim or self-commission ourselves to our callings. I see this frequently with my Bible students and asking them, you know, what they have a sense of their calling, and many of them will. And I will ask them, well, who is it that sent you? Almost none of them have anyone that sent them. They are self-sent. They are self-commissioned. And this is not the way it was done here in Acts 13. In Acts 13, the leadership of this community was used by the Holy Spirit to send out Barnabas and Saul to the work that he had called them to do. So let's read on here now, verses 4 through 12. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. So you see, they right here, right out of the box, it's clear. Whatever that was done in terms of of fasting and prayer and laying on of hands was viewed as human agents serving the will of the Holy Spirit. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Arriving in Salmas, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John as their assistant. This is John Mark. When they had traveled the whole island as far as Papos, in other words, they landed on the east side of the island and they traveled to the west side. So when they traveled to the other side, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. Please note that he is noted as an intelligent man. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul who wanted to hear the word of God. That was a very intelligent thing to do, but most intelligent men wouldn't summon someone to hear the word of God because they think they have enough intelligence in and of themselves. But this man showed some humility here. But Elymas, the sorcerer, that is the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, also called Paul, this is the first time he's called Paul now. Filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elamas and said, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. You son of the devil, an enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You're going to be blind and we will not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell on him. And he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then, when he saw what happened, the proconsul believed. Now, please note the proconsul was not enamored with the supernatural. Certainly, what Paul did would have been a supernatural, the ability to blind someone. But that wasn't what enamored him. What enamored him was the teaching of the Lord. That's what astonished him. Commissioning is a divine divinely ordained act. When it is done properly, those commissioned know they are divinely sent. What a gift that is to know that you are sent somewhere to do something by God. And it wasn't just human agents. It wasn't just a good idea. But it's truly from God, and God chose human agents to direct you to do that work. Barnabas, Saul, and John Mark first traveled 10 miles to Seleucia. Seleucia means white light. So that's an interesting starting point. We're going to travel from the inland city of Antioch to the coastal city of Seleucia, about 10 miles, and it's white light. It's like God is saying right right on. This is where I want you to go. This is what I've sent you to do. It's a coastal city. They sailed about 130 miles to Salmos. Salmos means salt, which we know that salt is something that's a preservative. So it's kind of a picture here of the gospel, is a preservative. Psalmist on the east side of the island of Cyprus. Cyprus means love or blossom. So this is the very first places that he's going, Paul and Silas, or Paul and Barnabas, on their first journey. At Psalmist, they proclaim the word of the Lord. First to those in the synagogues. This became their custom. Perhaps this was before Paul was recognized as the apostle of the Gentiles. Or perhaps they were looking for those who had a high view of Scripture. In any case, to those in the synagogue, they proclaimed the seminal truth of Acts 2.36. And this was the the punchline of Peter's first sermon in Acts 2. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You see, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Christ. Today, we tend to think of Jesus as Christ in terms of Jesus as our Savior. We tend to dismiss and discount that Jesus is Lord. The Lordship of Christ is the seminal idea behind a sovereign, intentional, strategic God working through men to accomplish his purpose. He has a will for what every human being is to do. He's created us. He's ordained us. He's directing us into alignment with his will and his ways. This truth is foundational for Christianity. He is Lord and Christ. The two aspects of his identity cannot be separated. The evidence that one knows Jesus as Christ as well as Savior is that one lives under the Lordship of Christ. Obedience to God does not save us. It cannot save us. But it reveals whether or not we've truly been regenerated, and therefore born again, and therefore enjoying eternal life. Barnabas, Saul, and John Mark traveled overland about 100 miles from the east coast to the west coast of Cyprus. Along the way, they may have made numerous side trips. We don't really know that. When they arrived arrived at Pappos, and Pappos means boiling or hot, and so they had a hot encounter there. They encountered a Jewish magician, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Elamas was his name, and that means sorcerer. He was probably worse than Simon the sorcerer in Samaria in Acts chapter 8. The proconsul Sergius Paulus was the local Roman ruler. He was an educated man for his day. Nevertheless, his education left him empty inside. He had questions he couldn't answer. And being an intelligent Roman ruler was not adequate to answer the questions of life. He needed and wanted more. So he summoned Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. He wanted to hear about the Christian faith. To be invited to share the word of the Lord is clearly the best way to evangelize. And the predicate for this is living with integrity because nobody's interested in listening to hypocrites. The only way to get an invitation to share truth is to live truth. Though the proconsul invited Barnabas and Saul to share the word of God, Elamas, the sorcerer, driven by the spirit of Antichrist, opposed them. Saul desired, and by the way, the word name Saul means desired. As, <clears throat> Saul, for the first time, was called Paul, which means small or little, which that's probably good because uh, he would be used greatly. And if you're going to be used greatly, it's good that you have a humble attitude toward yourself. He called out Elamas as an emissary of Satan. Paul also knew the debilitating impact of blindness when he was intercepted by Jesus, and now he had an opportunity to use this same tool against now the spirit of Antichrist that was in Elamas. Though the proconsul saw his his magician made powerless by Paul and recognized that the greater power was the spirit in Paul, not the spirit in Elamas, this didn't impress him. Well, I wish we could hear that, because today we are so enamored with signs and wonders we get distracted with this and we are, we now are seeking it. It's almost become an idol for many in the body of Christ. Now, but that wasn't true of Sergius Paulus. He wasn't enamored by the signs and wonders. He was enamored by the teaching about Jesus. This is what amazed him. This illustrates how signs and wonders are secondary. And the important issue is the power of the gospel of God to affect eternal life, the proconsul experienced this reality. Now, let me just give you a a couple of a point of theology and then an application here. Commissioning. Commissioning is an act of faith by human agents who serve as God's proxies to communicate his will to a person. To be commissioned requires humility, submission, and teachability on the part of all parties, particularly the one being commissioned. Based on my experience teaching the C4 principle, I believe that commission is the hardest component of the C4 principle. Not to comprehend, but to live. This stems from a strong human bias toward autonomy. Worldwide people want to know their own, to want to make their own decisions. Since the 18th century, globally, there's been a strong emphasis on individualism. Individualism discounts the value of authority figures. Anecdotally, I found few who profoundly understand how the sovereign hand of God works through authority figures. Most just discount authority figures as something that gets in their way, something that's an annoying, something that God couldn't be in. But that couldn't be further from the truth. The purpose of commissioning is to facilitate the will and the ways of God in the lives of individuals. Commissioning is the role of authority figures who are sovereignly placed in each person's life to confirm the call of God and guide him or her into alignment with that call. Everyone needs direction and guidance to live life. Well, no one can self guide. Well, God's universe has been designed to work best when sovereignly ordained authority figures empower people. Therefore people are sovereignly placed under parents, teachers, managers, spiritual leaders, and civil leaders. This is a divine gift. To facilitate alignment with the will and ways of God is an incredible gift of grace that we have from the Father. In addition, God uses life events, particularly life-changing circumstances, to clarify his calling. These events are not random. In a universe governed by a sovereign, intentional, and strategic creator, everything happens for a reason. As one theologian noted, God is the author of circumstances, all circumstances. He sovereignly uses life events to envision, and direct people. This includes all types of events, whether it's graduations, job reviews, promotions, terminations, and even calamitous events. All of these can and will be used by God to provide direction and guidance. Commissioning agents are essential to help people properly see these events, to understand the meaning of the events, draw the right conclusions about the events, and then make right choices in response to the events. The right choice is always alignment with the will and the ways of God. To try to make decisions in life without commissioning agents leaves people vulnerable to deception. This is foolish living and makes finding one's life purpose even more arduous. The most important decision in our lives, in each person's life, is coming to Christ, coming to know him. The second most important decision is finding and fulfilling our calling. These two decisions are pivotal and should be the top priorities for all people and their commissioning agents. This means that everyone needs to be submitted to the the God-ordained authority in their lives to help eradicate the blocks so they can clearly see and align with the purpose of God for their lives. Being submitted to commissioning agents does not mean that commissioning agents are perfect or even necessarily Christians. Rather, being submitted recognizes the sovereign hand of God in placing people under specific authority figures and trusting that the imperfections of the authority figures will not trump God's ability to guide people into alignment with himself. All right, finally, a word of application. Self-commissioning, a predicate for failure. There are times in history when the pulse of religious life beats faintly but there are times when it beats its beat is pounding, and the latter was the case in the 16th century among the nations of Western Europe. The question of faith at that time dominated every activity in public life. New history starts out from faith, and even as the history of our time starts from the unbelief of the French Revolution. Now, this is a quote from the redoubtable Dutch theologian, Abraham Kuyper. He rewrote this over 100 years ago. From his 19th century perspective, he viewed the recent history of Western civilization at the time he lived as largely shaped by the 18th century French Revolution. The French experiment was the first large-scale attempt to build a society based on secularism, based on humanism. It failed miserably because the centering point was man and not God. Other attempts have been made on, based on the same premise, premise, such as the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia in the early part of the 20th century. Hitler in the more toward the middle part of the 20th century, Hitler in Nazi Germany, and Mao Zedong in China, it's basically that's been going on since the middle of the 19th century, or 20th century continues to today. But like the French, all have failed to produce the promised utopia that was free from human tyranny. Seeking to build a society by exalting mankind and denigrating God, the creator and sustainer of all, is doomed to failure. Scripture attributes the existence of physical reality to a sovereign transcendent creator and sustainer of the universe who defines all truth and reality for the universe. The creator has chosen to govern the physical world through a system of timeless universal principles called TUP. When mankind seeks to redefine any aspect of truth, or TUP, then that doesn't work, because only God's definitions work. And so when we try to redefine God's definitions, this is called rebellion. Now, in the 18th century, those who opposed God's system of truth and reality were called revolutionaries, and those who seek to support God's system were called anti-revolutionaries. The pillar of the 18th century French Revolution could be expressed In four ways that is four pillars of their thinking that drove them and then what they the choices that they made first the idea was convention the next idea was consent the third idea was coercion and the fourth idea was consensus so convention meant that society its structures and institutions can be shaped any way man chooses secondly consent meant that authority to be valid must have the approval of those under it. Coercion meant that law and justice are decided by those who are in power, and consensus meant that the truth is discerned by the public opinion of the day. Now, the anti-revolutionaries believed the opposite. They believed biblically that God had defined what he meant by these terms. So let's go back through those four terms again. First, the idea of convention, to the anti-revolutionary, they believed in a God-given, ordained order anchored in creation. Secondly, consent. They believed in basically God is the ultimate authority, but he's granted limited authority with valid rights to various people for various purposes. For example, a home is not a democracy. The children don't get to vote, or should not get to vote on what to do and how to do it. The parents should have authority over their home. So that's an example of that. The next one, coercion. Uh, to the anti-revolutionaries, uh, they they did not believe that it was within the power, of whoever who was in charge, it was in their authority to exercise power and redefine things. They believed there was an objective standard of justice rooted in the righteousness of a holy God. So they would be looking to scripture to define cultural and social norms. And finally, consensus. They did not believe that truth was something you voted on, truth was not something that was discerned by public opinion. They believed that truth was independent of human beings, it was transcendent and ultimately derived from divine revelation. So the revolutionaries of the 18th century and all those who followed them failed in their experiments to bifurcate society from God. Their presumptive actions were an attempt to self-commission, that is to define truth and reality and to do as they wish without God. If, however, the universe is created, how can one expect to achieve long-term success by denying and defying the sovereign creator? Self-commissioning is doomed to failure. Perhaps this is another definition of insanity. The only proper way to live in God's universe is aligned with him, his will, his ways, in his timing. Proper alignment is seen in part through divinely directed commissioning. When the Lord calls a person or persons to a work assignment, wisdom is to recognize the calling and support it by commissioning people to fulfill their calls. An example of proper alignment with God is found in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. The Lord revealed his calling on Barnabas and Saul to the leaders of the first century Christian community at Antioch. They responded by commissioning Barnabas and Saul and sending them out to do this work. The commissioning included fasting, prayer, and laying on of hands. It was clearly a public event executed by the leaders of the community who served as the human commissioning agents who were basically proxies for God. And according to Acts 13, verse 4, they all understood that the ultimate commissioning agent of Barnabas and Saul was not the human agents, but the Holy Spirit himself. Barnabas and Saul were not self-commissioned. They were sent out by the Holy Spirit through the intermediate agency of the church leaders there. May we all learn the importance of commissioning and restrain ourselves from the humanistic desire to self-commission, which will do nothing but bear bad fruit. So may we make God's choice, his will, his way, and his purposes our priority, and may we live well before him accordingly in Jesus' name. Amen.